we've recently, we here at Windsor, have recently begun a series on uh, one another's. Our, our role as individual Christians and as the church, as gathered believers, is to reflect God, reflect God's character correctly, uh, especially by reflecting his son, Jesus' character. And one of the main ways we do that is how we interact with each other, with one another. And as David pointed out two weeks ago, this is an incredibly important aspect throughout Scripture, one another. How do we do it? How do we live this way? When you live with people, and when you work, and when you serve, and when we try to do things together, inevitably hurt comes. So in a community where we're working together, when hurt comes, how do you respond to it? There are a number of different ways you can respond. I know a lot of people have been tempted to do this to me when we work with one another. And that's one option. Revenge or payback. Uh, But are there other options? And maybe are there healthier options for how we work with each other when one another offend the other? One passage in Scripture that is rich with an understanding of one another, of how to live as Christ's body, is Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read this passage in a second, but in context, Ephesians 4 is that Paul is elaborating on how Jesus gives gifts to his body for a purpose. And the main purpose that Paul talks about in this chapter anyway, the main purpose that Jesus gives us gifts is to build each other up, to strengthen one another, to speak truth in love to one another so that the body causes itself to be built up by his power, causing itself, each other, to grow in maturity. And that's what we're here for and why Jesus equips us is to help each other grow in maturity into Christ. And at the end of this, of this passage where he's describing how to live with one another, he says these words, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children. Walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another as God has forgiven us in Christ. This is at the heart of our community life. So it's very fitting that that toward the beginning of this series where we explore different things we can do with, for one another, forgiveness is at the forefront How do you respond when people offend you or just annoy you or intentionally hurt you or accidentally hurt you? Whether in a petty way that's just bothersome but constant perhaps or in some very, very serious ways. 
How do we as, as Christians respond to this? We're challenged to forgive. But I'm sure you all know that, that this is a, a really hard thing to do. I've experienced this. Sometimes it's easy to forgive, but sometimes it's very difficult. We think, but I want justice. I, I hurt too much to forgive this person. This person has done this too often. I'm not going to forgive them anymore. I'm going to explore with you for a moment what forgiveness is. We talk about it, but what is it? But before I mention some things that it is, what is it not? These are some things that it's not. Forgiveness is not saying to somebody who hurts you, it's okay, or no problem, or no big deal. That's not forgiveness. Because when somebody hurts us, it often is a problem. It is a big deal. And denying that is not helpful, and that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is something you do after admitting this is a problem, and it's hurtful. So what is it? What do we actually do that Scripture calls forgiveness? Just a few biblical words, a few different words that are used to capture the idea of forgiveness. Releasing. To release a person or release their sin against us. Or again, something like that, letting go. Or another one that we're going to explore in just a moment in more depth, canceling debt. This person owes me. Do you make them pay it back? Canceling the debt. That's a biblical idea of forgiveness. We can fill this out a little bit more because those are just some angles on what forgiveness is, but but there might be actually more to what it is. Uh, For example, here's a definition uh, in a book called Five Steps to Forgiveness, uh, a definition of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is defined as the emotional replacement of, one, those hot emotions of anger or fear that follow a perceived hurt or offense. So somebody offends you or you perceive that they've hurt you, you're fearful, you're angry, those hot emotions. Forgiveness is replacing those emotions. Or maybe it was a hurt a while ago, And you have this unforgiveness that follows ruminating about the transgression. You're no longer hotly angry, but you're really ruminating over this and bitter. So forgiveness is emotional replacement of those types of emotions by substituting positive emotions. Such as unselfish love, empathy, compassion, or even romantic love. Especially if you're married. It's the book, Everett Worthington happens to be my father, so I, I recommend this book. I would anyway. So that's a definition. Well, well he fleshes this out a little bit more. Uh, giving a bit more detail of, of what's involved in forgiveness. You'll recognize some of what he says from the biblical words that I mentioned. Forgiveness requires both letting go and Pulling toward. A forgiver must be motivated to release the resentment, hatred, 
and bitterness of unforgiveness. A forgiver releases the desire to avoid or seek revenge against the perpetrator. That's getting tough. The forgiver releases the desire to avoid the person who hurt us or releases the desire to seek revenge against them. But the act of pulling toward, this is still a quote, the act of pulling toward, of reaching out toward the transgressor, is sharper. It pricks the heart. A forgiver replaces unforgiveness with a sense of non-possessive love and wishing the perpetrator well. A forgiver could even enter a relationship with the perpetrator if it was safe, prudent, and possible to do so. Forgiveness means giving a gift that embodies freedom and love. I'm sure it would be well worth dwelling on that for quite a long time. And I can certainly make this, these slides available to anybody who wants to read over this. Let me put another quote out there that uh, cuts to my heart. Lewis Smedes says, We talk a good forgiving line as long as somebody else needs to do it. But few of us have the heart for it while we are dangling from one end of a bond broken by someone else's cruelty. As somebody who's been preparing to, to share with you about forgiveness, I've really had to take this to heart. When I'm dangling from that broken bond, what does that mean for me? So for the next few minutes, there could be a few approaches we could take to understanding forgiving one another better. For example, one approach we could take is is a very practical approach. How to do this? How can I forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? So again, for example, one model, that book, Five Steps of Forgiveness, it goes into detail about five steps we can take when we've been hurt to forgive. And this is one very good approach to, to forgiving one another. It's called the reach model, to reach forgiveness. First, you recall the hurt. doesn't do any good to deny it. Recall the hurt. Second, empathize with the one who hurt you. Put yourself in their shoes. Try to understand them as a person rather than simply a jerk. Third, altruistically give freedom from the debt. Altruism means other-centeredness. Not for your own gain, but for them, give the gift of freedom. Third, commit publicly or to another person. Commit to the forgiveness so they can hold you accountable. You have forgiven this person. And finally, Hold on to it. Hold on to your commitment because the emotions are going to come back up. Hold on to the fact that you have released them from that debt. So that's one option. We could explore this in more detail. Very practical ways to get over the pain. That's the right word. To, to, to let it go and to bless the, the person. That's not the approach we're going to take now though. The approach we're going to take now is to look at something Jesus says. It's a story. It's actually, it's a funny story. Sort of. It's funny and it's shocking. 
And it's scary at the same time. And it's even challenging. All in one. This story, a lot of you will know, it's uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus tells this story to illustrate how to forgive one another. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Now the context of this is similar to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 was about how the church lives together. And we saw forgiveness being very important. Well, the context here in Matthew, Jesus is teaching the disciples, how do you live with each other? How does the church function? That's the context. And yet again, this comes up, this topic. must be important. So what I'm going to do is read through this passage, but occasionally I'm going to pause and, and give some, some ideas or clarify some things as we work through this passage. So verse 21, then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Has anybody here ever asked that question? How often will this person sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter offers seven times. Now we'll pause right here. That's actually very generous. Have you thought about what that means? Picture it for a moment. This brother or this sister, you can even think about somebody in here, comes up to you and and hurts you, but you, you forgive them. They hurt you again. 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 You forgive them again. They hurt you again. You forgive them again. They hurt you again. Seven times is a lot. And in fact, in Jesus' day, a lot of rabbis were teaching that when somebody continues to hurt you, forgive them three times. Maybe four if you're really generous. So for Peter to come and say seven times, that's actually very gracious of him. And that makes it all the more striking what Jesus says next. Jesus said to him, verse 22, I don't say seven times to you, but 77 times. What? That's like every time. That means always. Whenever they sin against me, forgive them. No matter what, without limit, never stop forgiving this person. How can Jesus say that? What is Jesus thinking that could enable him to challenge us to live in that type of way together? Well, fortunately, Jesus explains himself. He tells a story to illustrate his own point here. So verse 23. And as we read the story, it becomes clear that Jesus has a different perspective than us when somebody hurts us. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When the king began to settle, one servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Stop right there. What does that mean? We don't 
understand any longer what the impact of that number is. Now, the exact number that Jesus chooses is not exactly important, but the disciples would have automatically understood what he meant, and we don't. So let me highlight a few, a few things about money back then. And I think this will really build our picture of what Jesus' view is of us. Now, we'll start with a small amount, a, denari- a denarius. Those are Roman denaria uh, from the time of Jesus, in fact. Those first two are from either 150 years before Jesus or the other ones about 40 years after Jesus. So those are the types of coins that were called denarius, denaria back then. How much is one denarius? Well, it's a day's wage. When a worker would work all day, he'd get one of those coins, a denarius. So how much is a hundred denaria? Well, a hundred denaria is about four months' wages. That's, that's actually quite a lot. So if you were to make, let's say, 30,000 pounds this year, well, a hundred denaria would be about 10,000 pounds. You know, we're all different in what we make, but... Four months' work, a hundred denaria. What about a thousand? A thousand denaria. That's what you'd make in three years and four months of working. What about six thousand denaria? You'll see the point in why I'm using these numbers in just a moment. Six thousand denaria, 20 years' worth of work. What you would make in 20 years. So how much is six thousand denaria back then? One talent back then was worth about 6,000 denaria. 20 years worth of work, one talent. To give you more perspective, 600 talents back then. In the, in the year that Jesus was born, the whole region of Judea, Samaria, and Edomia, Edom, the whole region owed taxes to the king for one year, 600 talents, that whole region, taxes for the year. So when this parable, when Jesus says, this servant owed the king 10,000 talents, (laughs) well, well, how much is that? I mean, that's, that's 16 years of taxes in Judea, Samaria, Edomia, or on personal terms, you could work 200,000 years and and you'd make 10,000 talents. Jesus is making a very funny, overblown point. It's it's really impossible, probably, that this guy would owe the king that much. But what's even funnier and more shocking is what happens next. Verse 25, and since the man could not pay this debt, (laughs) it's no wonder, his master, the king, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. But the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. I can imagine the disciples laughing at that. Can, you, can he be given any amount of time and possibly pay back what he owes the king? Maybe you can see where Jesus is beginning to go with this. It's impossible that this guy could ever, ever pay back what he owes to the king. It's absurd, in fact. Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Canceled the debt. 
basically saying to the servant, you don't owe me anything anymore. It's canceled. (laughs) What a shock. An absolute shock. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denaria. Now remember, a hundred denaria, that's not insignificant. That's four months' work of wages. But in light of what we've just seen, that servant found a fellow servant who owed him that much, seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all his debt. So also, Jesus says, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I find that to be so sobering for living with each other. What has just happened in this story? Jesus flips the perspective of Peter, the disciples of us, on its head. When his disciple comes to him and says... When my brother or sister sins against me, that's the setting. That's our setting. So often, somebody here has sinned against me. How often do I forgive them? Well, Peter's perspective seems to be something like this. There's my brother and sister on one side. They're a jerk. They're mean. They're irresponsible. A sinner. Just a matter of fact. They hurt me. You know, something like that. That is my brother or sister in this scenario. Me, however, and that seems to be Peter's perspective. Now, before anybody draws any wrong conclusions, that might be a very true perspective. It might very well be that in a situation where somebody hurts you, you are innocent. You didn't do anything to prompt that in any way, and I would not want to suggest that We always have a part to play when somebody hurts us. Absolutely not. There are often situations where we are completely innocent and somebody simply hurts us. So that's a true perspective, sometimes, many times, but it's not a full perspective. So when Peter presents that idea to Jesus, Jesus begins his story. And Jesus' perspective is different. How does Jesus begin his story? Well, first, he starts with servant A, who owes the king a lot, more than he could possibly pay, 200,000 years worth of wages. He starts with that as the big perspective on who this servant is 
before the king. Then, once that concept is in Peter's mind and our minds, then he shifts to when a fellow servant owes something to you. In other words, not your servant, but another servant of the king, when that person owes you something. And remember, it's significant, 100 denaria. It's a significant hurt. He owes a debt. But in the broader picture that Jesus has just painted, he says, look at who you are before the king when you think about what to do to your fellow servant when they sin against you. There's a bigger picture here. Or bringing it closer to home, Jesus is painting a picture for us When we're in a situation where somebody hurts us, when we get offended, first, there's Jesus' perspective on us. What I owe the Father, which which is a lifetime worth of small things and big things, twisting God's honor in front of the eyes of others or in my own heart or or hurting other people that God created or doing all sorts of subtle or dramatic damage. We have a lifetime of debt to the king and creator. Then we look at the person who hurt us. My perspective of what he owes me or what she owes me. And this does not deny the seriousness of it. But in light of the fact that the king canceled all that I have done to offend him and hurt his creation, that he canceled it completely on his son's cross, in light of that, I can understand when somebody's in debt. So what do I then do to my brother or my sister who has offended me? And how often do I do it? Can they ever, and some, some sins are so serious, but no matter what they do, can they ever owe to us what we owe to the Father, the King? Is that possible? Jesus gets it at the heart of the matter. We live and we serve together in a community of fellow servants to the king. All of us are serving the king together. People will annoy us and will hurt us, will offend us, maybe even betray us. We, of course, will offend, annoy, hurt, and betray others. It's going to happen. People will owe us a debt. We will owe others a debt. That is the way it works. When we get hurt, as hard as it is, we need to let go of our negative emotions toward this person, let go of the debt that they owe us, and lavish kindness and mercy on them every time in light of what has happened for us. How, no matter how bad their debt is, it cannot compare to what we owe the king, and he canceled it. 
So, as a community, let's live out the cross, forgiving one another. Let's pray, please. Father, you are our king, and you have done an unthinkable gift of mercy for each of us who trust your son. Help us, help us by your spirit that you've given to us as well. Help us lavish on each other the type of freedom that you have shown us in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.